say it a different way. An intense spiritual battle is taking place for this woman's daughter's life, for her soul. And in her desperate time, she comes to Jesus. How will Jesus respond to her in her desperate time? She's a pagan woman in a pagan place dealing with such desperation. How will Jesus respond to her? How does Jesus respond to anyone who finds themselves in his presence in the midst of such desperation? Maybe you're there today. In an ultimate sense, you feel like life is a mess, that the totality of your life is in a desperate place. And here you are today. Or maybe there's a specific situation that consumes your mind and your thoughts and your emotions today. And it leaves you with such desperation. And here you are today in the hope that maybe Jesus be able to do something for you today. Let's see how Jesus responds to anyone, anywhere, who comes to him in their desperation. Matthew chapter 15, 21 to 28. Grab your Bibles, follow along with me. We continue our series in Matthew, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Matthew says this, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed Instantly. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen? Let me pray. Lord,
Help us as we hear your word. Help us as we see your nature. Help us respond today by your spirit according to your word. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We saw Jesus engaged in full-on ministry in Galilee. And Matthew tells us that after this interaction with the Pharisees regarding hand-washing and defilement, that he withdraws. Right? Jesus went away from there, Galilee, uh, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, where is that when you think about Israel and, 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 and the landscape? Well, basically, Tyre and Sidon was 25 to 50 miles, two cities north of Galilee, where Jesus was. Okay? So in our mind, well, that's not very far. I mean, I went to Cazenovia last night, and it only took about 40 minutes. But there were no cars then. They had to walk there. So that's kind of a significant distance. I mean, Jesus withdrew from his ministry. He was definitely getting away. And where did he go? He went to Tyre and Sidon. This is the land of the Canaanites. He left Israel. He went into enemy territory to rest. Interesting to think about. You're going to rest, right? We go home where it's safe. Jesus rests from ministry, and he goes into enemy territory. The Canaanites, the land of the Canaanites. These were Gentiles. These were the enemies of the people of God. Those who engaged in false worship and served false gods. Jesus rests and retreats, withdraws into enemy territory. And Jesus, while he's there, is approached by a pagan woman who cries out to him in her desperate need. Right, A Canaanite woman, Matthew tells us, uh, came out and was crying in a loud voice. It was visible, it was, it was heard, it was audible. It was a loud voice crying out to him. Who is this woman? She is a Canaanite woman. This whole uh, discussion last week about defilement, who's clean, who's not clean. Let's put it this way. This woman was considered to be unclean. She was Canaanite. She's an enemy of the people of God. What does she ask for, even as such a woman? She asks for the mercy of God. She says what? Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of God. She, in her desperation, is looking for the only thing that could do anything about it, the mercy of God. And I wonder if some of you here today are wondering, what will be the remedy for my ultimate desperation, and what will be the remedy for the situational desperation that I feel? The only remedy is the one that she seeks, and that is the mercy of Christ. She seeks mercy. And who does she call on? Jesus. But what does she call Jesus? She calls Jesus, the Canaanite woman, calls Jesus, Lord, Son of David. Wait a minute. How in the world 
a pagan woman in a pagan place, worshiping a pagan god, come to know Jesus as Lord and Son of David. Clearly, she had some sort of encounter with the Jewish faith. Clearly, someone had explained something of the expectations of a coming king, one from the line of David. Maybe even she had some explanation of the implications of the coming of this king from the line of David. That this son of God would come and rule eternally, all in fulfillment of covenant promises that were made to Israel. Somehow she came to know Jesus as Lord and the Son of David. Somehow the Spirit of God was orchestrating events in her life, orchestrating relationships in her life that enabled her to know and even expect a Son of David to come. The Spirit of God was doing that. Do you believe that even now? Just pause for a minute. Do you believe that even now? That in our day, in our place, in our time, that the Spirit of God is orchestrating events in our lives, relationships, conversations that enable us to come to a, an understanding of who Christ is in all that God promises to these people. Do we believe in our time, in our communities, that the Spirit, the Sovereign Spirit is at work in, the, in people that we would least expect, that would be most resistant, most undeserved in our minds? But that's what's going on here. We don't know how she came to know that she knows. We understand that this is the work of the Spirit of God in the world. This is the work of the Word going forth, revealing, orchestrating. God's at work behind the scenes in ways that we may not see or understand, but we know it's true, so we trust in Him. And we engage in relationships with people in this world with the assumption in the eyes of faith that believe that maybe just this moment, this relationship, this conversation could lead them to know and understand the identity of Jesus Christ. And what was her need? Deliverance for her daughter. Deliverance for her daughter. We don't know exactly what's going on here. We know that she is severely oppressed by a demon. The emphasis? Severe. Severely oppressed by a demon. There is an intense spiritual battle for this daughter's soul. We don't know the symptoms, right? Oftentimes we read in Matthew, like someone's oppressed by a demon, we get the symptoms. We get mute, deaf, violent. We don't get that here. We don't get symptoms. We just know that she is severely oppressed by a demon, that an intense spiritual battle is taking place over the soul of someone that this woman loves dearly, her daughter. 
parents in the room. Why is she so desperate? A Canaanite woman. This is her daughter. This is her daughter. This was personal. Have mercy on me. My daughter. Parents understand there's there's an intimate connection between parent and children that almost feels like it's you. You follow? Things that are going on in our children's lives, they're going on in our lives. And the spiritual battle that's taking place for their souls, that's a personal issue for us. We assume them as our own. Am I overstating it? I don't think so. The level of concern and fear this woman felt was directly related to the level of love and affection she felt for her daughter, given the severity of her condition. I think we can all understand and identify with that as parents. There are a few things that keep me lying awake at night. What toilet's overflowing somewhere? And uh, my kids' spiritual condition. Things that keep me praying into the wee hours of the night. The spiritual state of the children. Do they know and have they been delivered by Jesus? Know Christ. And the flip side is there's no greater joy than when you see God at work in their life setting them free from sin and the power of the enemy. There's no greater joy. There's no greater fear. It's the level of love. Therefore, the level of desperation. Please, she comes to Jesus in her need. This woman knows that no matter who we are, it is the mercy of Christ that is our only hope in the face of desperation. No matter who we are, the the mercy of Christ is our only hope in the face of desperate need, no matter who you are today. It is the mercy of Christ that is your only hope. You need Christ's mercy in an ultimate sense and in every situation. That's what you need. She knows that, a Canaanite woman. Do you know that? Do you know that? And if we've been following along in Matthew over the last couple of years, decades, we know what comes next, right? The woman comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, cries out for mercy. We know what Jesus does next, right? He heals her. Because that's what Jesus does. Right? We've read it. We go back. Hey, we remember the story because we've been listening to the sermons. We've been taking notes. Chapter 8, verse 16. That evening... They brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast the spirits out with a word. And he healed all who were sick. Right? With a word. Demons be gone. With a word. Jesus cast out demons. He has the power and the authority to cast out the demons. Amen? And when someone comes to him and asks for mercy, what does he do? With a word, cast them out. And so we continue to read, and what does Matthew tell us? He did not answer her a word. What? He did not answer her a word. 
today, in this moment, to this woman, not a word. And yet she continues. Initially, Jesus says nothing, but she continues. The disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after you. We don't know. Is he saying, like, just heal her and get rid of her because she's crying out a lot. We've had enough to hear. Is he just saying, send her away, get rid of her regardless? So he ends his silence. His answer is no. No. On two occasions, Jesus says no to her request. And it's basically uh, the same reason couched in different language. Jesus says no. Why does Jesus say no? Because the focus and priority of his redemptive mission for which he was sent. What does he say? He says he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This points back to Israel's election to be the unique people of God. Genesis 15, Abraham, right? You, I will bless you. I will bless you. You are my people. Of all the peoples of the earth, you, Israel's election. Jesus came to fulfill very specific covenant promises made to Israel. His people were lost. He was sent to them to find them save them according to his covenant mercy. She's asking for covenant mercy. He was sent to Israel. Israel. Nothing, no need, no one could distract Jesus from his mission to go to the lost people of the house of Israel. Don't miss that. Redemptive history has an order. It has a priority. It has a focus. It is Israel. But she came and knelt before him, Matthew tells us, saying, Lord, help me. She continues. Lord, help me. She doesn't seek the help of a deity like a Gentile. If you go back to, again, Matthew, where he teaches on prayer, what does Jesus say to his disciples? Don't pray like the Gentiles do, right? Heaping up many phrases, empty phrases. Think they'll be heard for their many words. Remember that? Three words. Lord, help me. Such a simplicity in that prayer, such a beauty in that prayer, She is not praying like a pagan. She is not praying like a Gentile. She comes to Christ seeking mercy with such a beauty, such a simplicity. I don't know what you need to hear, Jesus, to hear my prayer. This is all I've got for you in my desperation and my weakness. Lord, help me. It's all I've got. Lord, help me. Three words. That's it. It's all she's got in her inadequacy, in her desperation, in her weakness, yet with sincerity and simplicity, 
coming to the helper. Worshipping Jesus. And she's simply, concisely asking the helper for what she needs. And that's help. She can't do it on her own. She needs help. Are you there today? In the midst of your life, of your marital concerns and your physical health fears, in the midst of parenting frustrations, in the midst of financial difficulties, have you run out of solutions? And is this the wonderful moment where you come to realize that no matter who you are, no matter what you're facing, the mercy of Christ, the help of Christ is your only hope? Will you simply come to Him today with three simple, sincere words? Lord, help me. is often made fun of because having faith in Jesus is like a crutch for weak people. Thank you, Jesse and the Body Ventura. Sorry, that was a bad joke. That's what I remember saying it. I'm sure many other people have said it. He's a great driver, but not really. Anyway, Christianity is a crutch for weak people. Guys, it's kind of true. In some sense, it's true. Right? It's for people who recognize their weakness and realize they can't stand on their own, who come to Jesus humbly, recognizing that they can't do it, that they need help, that they're weak and inadequate. Some of us need to repent of our pride, assuming that we can figure out and solve all the problems of our life apart from the help of Christ. Not this woman. And yet Jesus says no again. What does he say? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Come on. Jesus is about to get canceled. He says to this woman, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the Surely in this moment, she's done. Nothing, no, no. Surely she gives up. Surely she's offended. Surely she's posted something on Facebook about her frustrations, about the unwillingness of Jesus to take care of her needs. Surely she's starting some sort of campaign against Jesus now. Surely she didn't receive what she was entitled to in her own mind. and mothers, you think about what Jesus says, fathers and mothers ensure the, the nourishment of their children, don't they? It's a great joy as a dad and a father to provide, to give, even if it's a $7 latte at Starbucks. Surely it's a joy to give, to provide, to foster growth and development in your children. This is good. This is parenting. Jesus is drawing this 
distinction between those who are in the family and those who are not. Right? There's, there's a specific joy, there's a specific responsibility that comes with providing for children. And I understand that for many, pets are a huge part of family life. I don't get it. That's okay, though. So many of you love your animals. I think that's great. My grandpa is a, he should have been a veterinarian. He's a huge animal lover. But here's the deal. I can't imagine anyone, as much as they love their pets, passing over the needs and joys uh, um, of their children in giving the dinner to the dogs. There's nobody here as much as you love your animal that is going to pass over the needs and providing uh, food and, and, and a meal uh, and, uh, for your children and pass over and give it to your pets. There's no way. The children, based on their relationship, based on who they are, have priority over the pets. That's what Jesus is saying. With a slightly different emphasis to what he already said before. He is highlighting this unique covenant relationship Israel has with its Lord. I think it's important as well to point out what we've observed last week. In order to worship, you must be clean. In order to receive mercy, one must do so on the basis of covenant. Covenant mercy is given in the context of a covenant relationship. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. There's no mercy outside of God's covenant. There's no mercy. There is a covenant order and a priority in redemptive history that will not be thwarted. And yet this woman is not deterred. She does not walk away. She continues to hope in even the smallest measure of what she needs. Look at her remarkable response. She says, yes, Lord. She says, yes, Lord. She agrees. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What an amazing response. She understands who she is. As she approaches Jesus, she understands what sin has done to her state. She understands that she's out of the covenant family. She understands she's not arguing that she's someone more than Jesus says she is. She's, she, she understands who she is. She's a dog. She's a pagan woman in a pagan place. She is not entitled to nor deserving of covenant mercy. Stood to be rejected, excluded based on her ethnicity and religious affiliation. She understands who she is. She does not have a too high view of herself. She comes to Jesus as a dog, hoping that even the smallest measure would fall from the table for her to feast upon. Because an abundant measure of anything else would not do that. 
an abundant measure of anything else that this world would offer her, that her own fake worship and, and false gods would offer her, even an abundant measure of those things would not provide the mercy that she needs. A crumb of Christ, please, Lord, help me. Does she understand who she is? She understands who Jesus is using the same metaphor. She understands that she's a dog and she understands that Jesus is her master regardless of where she fits in covenant history. She knows that Jesus is Lord, not just of Israel, of all, Lord of heaven and earth. That there's no person outside of his rule and reign. That Christ rules over all. Even if she's a dog, Jesus is still her master. Do you feel that today? Jesus is your master. Regardless of where you come from, your background, regardless of your past, even your desperate present, Jesus is your master. You need him. Not an abundant measure of anything else. You need him. She will be satisfied with even the smallest measure of what she needs. Jesus. That's who she is. And then at this moment, we see that Christ will not deny his mercy to anyone who comes to him in faith. I want you to hear that this morning. Christ will not deny his mercy to anyone who comes to him in faith. Anyone. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, I love that the Canaanite isn't there anymore. She's been changed. O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. He calls it great. He affirms her faith. And what makes it great? When you look back on the way she approaches Jesus, we see the kind of faith that made it great. First of all, her faith is great because it's informed. Remember, the Spirit of God was orchestrating events. She had relationships, conversation, some sort of exposure that informed her, right? Faith requires knowledge. You have to know something. You've got to know something. She knows it. It's not random. It's not like this random idea to approach Jesus. She was informed. That's what made it great. Even Calvin says this, Though this woman had not been regularly educated by any teacher, yet her faith in Christ was not a notion adopted by her at random, but was formed out of the law and the prophets. Her faith was informed. It was knowledge. Revelation had occurred in her life. That's what made it great. There's the source of her faith. God's revealing work by His Spirit in the Word. That's what creates faith. Amen? It was persistent. Such evidence of trust. First a no. Uh, first nothing. Then a no. Then a no again. It was persistent. Which evidenced her trust in Christ. Her trust in Him. If I don't get it from you, I'll get it from nowhere mercy that I need. It was humble. 
She knew who she was. She knew who Jesus was in relationship to him. All of this is spirit-enabled. It's what makes it great. This isn't just about, wow, she's great. Jesus is affirming the work of God in her life. Look at spirits at work in the world. In the life of this pagan woman in a pagan place. And here we are again, we're surprised, right? Last week the Pharisees, presumed to be clean, were actually unclean. Remember that? And yet, now we see a pagan woman, presumed to be unclean, is actually clean. She has been washed in the heart by the Spirit of God. The washing of regeneration. That's what Jesus affirms. The Spirit has washed my heart. How great is your faith? You know who you are. You know who I am. You persist in coming to me. I know what you need. And I will not deny my mercy to anyone who comes to me in faith. What an amazing thing to think about this morning. And he grants her the very mercy she requested, right? Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There it is. Amen. Instantly. Her daughter was healed. She was delivered from that severe oppression. Christ will not deny his mercy to anyone who comes to him in faith. Yes, there is an order. There is a priority. There is a focus in Jesus' redemptive mission. But if you understand the storyline of the Bible, there is also a great progression toward a glorious destiny in redemptive history. Romans 1.16, what does Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he has done. I'm not ashamed of that. For it is the power of God for salvation, what? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. Amen. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Everyone who believes. That's the gospel. That was, is what's happening in redemptive history in this moment. It's like Jesus is the fulcrum of the fulfillment of all those promises. And in many ways, he is teaching and instructing the disciples and us that, yes, there is an order. There is a priority. But don't forget the promise to Abraham. I will bless you so that in you all peoples will be blessed. Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. Amen. But he is also the Savior of the world. That's who Jesus is. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And I love the way John points this out, right? John 6, 7, Jesus says, All that the Father, all, all that the Father gives to me, they'll come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You're coming to Jesus in faith, and you're begging him for mercy, because you know that's your only hope in an ultimate sense or in a situational sense. Guess what? All who come to me will not be cast out. He'll welcome them. He'll welcome you. He will not cast you out. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've, uh, what sins you've committed, no matter how awful it has been, 
no matter what you're dealing with today, if you come to him, all who come to him, he will never cast out. What a promise today. And those who come to Christ in faith, not only are they welcomed by him, but they are the recipients of the covenant mercy that they need. Remember, no covenant, no mercy. But what does Peter tell us? Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Through Jesus Christ, the one who secures that mercy for his new covenant people, his church, his bride. So if you're looking for mercy from God, you must come to Christ. He is the one who gives you those covenant blessings. All those who come to Christ in faith have such a glorious hope. Again, this progression toward a destiny. The book of Revelation tells us that then in a vision, John sees, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they are all crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's our hope. That's our destiny. That's what redemptive history is beelining to. The day where all peoples, tribes, languages will stand before God and worship him for the salvation that he has given them. Because Christ will not deny his mercy to anyone who comes to him in faith. So please today, come to Christ in faith for his mercy and your desperate need for salvation. You see, in our Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, we have such a, 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 a temporal sense of what we need. But I'm saying ultimately, your greatest need is to be uh, free from your sin and for the wrath against your sin to be satisfied. You need salvation. That is your most desperate need right now. You need salvation. You need forgiveness of sin. You need a re reconciled relationship with God. That is the most important issue in your life. That's why we come together week in and week out. And we remind you of things that the temporal realities of life can sometimes tend to shelter you from. That's the, the beauty of what we do here. We remind you of the ultimate realities of life that the scriptures point to. You need to be saved from your sin. So come to Christ for that. Come to Christ in mercy. He will always give it. He will not deny his mercy to anyone who comes to him in faith. So come to him today. If you have never done that and say, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Lord, help me. mental health issues, depression, anxiety, insomnia, you're dealing with grief and loss and fear and anger, physical health concerns, financial challenges, 
your marriage continues to struggle, continues to wrestle with parenting challenges and fears in all of those temporal, situational, desperate times, yes, come to Jesus in faith for mercy in your desperation. Why would we choose, right? So many of you have come to Jesus just for like fire insurance, like get out of hell free card. But then we live our lives living into other things in almost a disregard for the mercy that saves us. All Jesus is is mercy so that we don't have to go to hell. No, he's so much more than that. He cares about the ultimate and the situational. And yet at the same time, so many of us come to Jesus for mercy only when times are tough. Man, I better pray. I just lost my job. I haven't prayed in years. I haven't dealt with my, I've not confessed my sin. I've not approached him for mercy, for sanctification. I've not dealt with saving, salvation issues. It's just situational. Why are we choosing between the two? We need all of Christ for all time, for all that we need. It's only his mercy that will suffice. So come to Christ in faith for his mercy. And please do this. As you leave this place today, as you encounter the desperate times in people's lives, and you will, as you see their marital issues, you see their fears in the midst of a pandemic that never seems to go away. You see their concerns over political tensions. You see all their anxieties and their struggles. Please point them to Christ. Point the world to the, to the one that they need. Point the world to Jesus for mercy. Don't just start throwing laws and better opinions and political clarity at them. Give them Jesus. They need Jesus. His mercy. An abundant measure of anything else will not do. Even a crumb for the dog is safe. Amen? So come to Jesus. Because Christ will not deny His mercy to anyone who comes to Him in faith. Amen? Let's pray. you for salvation. We need you in every situation. Please apply these words to our heart by your spirit. Draw pagans to yourself today. Draw people to yourself by your spirit through the word. And Lord, I pray you would just dispense your covenant mercy to those who know their helplessness today. Hear our prayers, hear our cries, Lord God, on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. Hear our plea for mercy. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And use us in this world, we pray, to bring this hope to a world that so desperately needs it. We pray, as we did Friday, 
your glory in the saving of those who are lost, regardless of where they come from, their background, their ethnicity, their economic status. Lord, at the end of the day, we're all dogs. We're all dogs. And we need you. Let us feast together upon Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.